Hi, it's Angela McKinney, and welcome back to the Untangle and Thrive podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. So today, I want to let's talk about habits. It's New Year's, new habits, new ideas about habits, and I'm hoping to to create a space here for you to walk away with a deeper understanding of the different ways to create habit formations, whether it's through identity change, whether it's through sequencing short-term goals, and it's whether it's through just learning more about the neurobiology of habits. So habits are things that our nervous system has learned, and they're not always conscious people. Sometimes we develop habits that we are not even aware of until they become a bum, 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 bum problem or until I say we untangle them. Other habits can serve us well in ways we don't fully understand. But the fact of the matter is that habits are a big part of who we are. Again, back to identity, who we are. And what we do habitually determines who we become in the future. Again, back to identity. So it is estimated, I think, that 70% of our waking behavior is habitual behavior. So you can imagine how much of the biology, right? The neural pathways, the cells, the hormones that go into supporting the development of habits. So we don't wanna just blur that over. There is hard science here to support the why, the why we keep certain habits and why habits can be so difficult to change. So if habits arise from states of learning, consciously or unconsciously, we then have to ask ourselves, well, then what is learning? Hmm, is learning collecting a lot of data and knowing a lot of stuff? Yeah, no, <laughs> not this kind of learning. Learning is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is simply, right, the process by which our nervous system changes in response to experience. Let me say that again. Neuroplasticity is simply the process of which our nervous system changes in response to experience. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, what changes? What changes is the connection between the neurons. Neurons are nerve cells and they communicate with one another, forming as we engage in a new experience, they're gonna to start to form new neural pathways. And as we form new neural pathways through an experience, we start to build what I call bandwidth. It's kind of like having a single lane highway. Your default one is that single lane through the process of entangling, we're gonna go through a new experience, we're gonna collect, we're gonna make the unconscious conscious, and as we do that, we're gonna to start to have an experience of an identity shift, which is gonna layer in new roads. So we're going from a single lane to two lanes, to three lanes, to four lanes, through the experience. This allows for new habit formations, okay? So, Let's talk a little bit about the psychological. There are the immediate short-term goals versus the identity shift-based habits. Let's talk firstly, the immediate goals. What helps? I think this is helpful to know that if we spend the time with short-term goals, right? Say, for example, we wanna have a better morning routine and say we fall off or we're not able to stack a good morning routine, then something called procedural memory or sequencing is a very useful skill tool to help 
create, to make something that was very difficult, way more likely. Let me give you an example. I'm an, or I love getting up early. I like to get up before everyone else. I like it dark, cold, very early, <laughs> make my cappuccino. I'm very happy. And I go outside, not a lot of clothes on, but appropriately dressed to feel the cold. This is my, this is my form of cold therapy. I go outside and I sort of connect with the beauty of the universe, the stars, the darkness, the sky, the wonder, right? I hear the noises, I hear, I hear the purrings of the universe, right? So this for me is almost like a meditation. It gives me a lot of pleasure. And say for example, so I have that habit in play. It's automatic, I don't think about it, it's what I do every morning. However, let's go to a habit that maybe I'm not as consistent with or isn't as automated. And let's say it's exercise. So if I'm wanting to stack another habit on my morning, then I want to sequence that in my brain. I want to look at it, see every step from, from being outside to going inside, getting my shoes on, getting dressed for the class, coming up into my office, putting on my Pilates class, doing my Pilates class, feeling what it feels like to have accomplished that goal. I'm going to put myself in the experience of already doing that feel the resistance and also feel the good one, the good feelings that come from the completion of it. I'm going to walk myself through that in my imagination through sequencing and I'm going to allow it to get imprinted in me somewhat where it starts to become metabolized or titrated in my somatic experience. So instead of saying, I want to exercise every day, <laughs> right? You can locate the impulse to want to exercise but I'm gonna say stretch it. Don't just write it down, stretch every little beat of that sequencing, feel the resistance, allow yourself to feel heavy or resistant, but moving through it, see yourself moving through it, putting your shoes on, changing your clothes, getting into the class, being in the class, finishing the class, and allow yourself to complete it and satiate it. So you've just used a part of your memory, procedural memory, and sequence something that becomes an experience, not an item on your to-do list. Now, the science, the research says, if we do that, if we sequence, then we stand a much higher, I think it's something like 90% higher of most likely doing it than not doing it. Okay, so that's one skill that I invite you to, to experiment is sequencing the new habit and also stacking it on to something you're already doing, if you can. Stack it so that that one habit that's automated already becomes extended, right? So my coffee, my cold therapy becomes an extension to my exercise. It's a continuation. Okay, I think that's a helpful way to re-embody and reimagine adding one habit onto something and then you could add another. Um, you know, sometimes they say 18 days for a new habit. That's for some people who are embodying it and moving and making it happen. And then there's other people it takes 230 days to embody a new habit. It really depends on the, on the friction. 
on the resistance, right? On this limbic default system of ours. So the more sequencing, the more time we embody the experience before we do the experience, the better we help that resistance and that neural pathways. We help build one little road there to, to give us um, more opportunity to step onto it. Okay, now I wanna talk about identity-based habits. And this, my friends, this is where the untangle method, those three steps, this is where they are so helpful to an identity habit change. Let me explain. This goes into the unconscious, right? Our unconscious is automatically trying to solve a problem. For the person who's trying to break drinking, for example, okay, they've had this habit of drinking. They tend to say, I'm going to stop drinking. <laughs> I'm going to just stop. And they try to go on a self-will, just cut it out and not do it. But they're not learning what the drinking was trying to solve. The drinking, again, it the nervous system learned into that habit, unconscious, and because they're just trying to override it and self-will it, make it black and white, they're, they're, they're not building that neuroplasticity. They're not building these neural, these new neuron connections, these new pathways to inhabit a new identity that supports a non-drinker. And so they go at it from this rigid, punitive kind of place, right? And then it becomes exhausting or something triggers them unconsciously and they're not even aware of it. And then it's, fuck it, right? They're off. How many times <laughs> has this happened to you? Or have you seen this in other people's lives, right? It's really despairing, right? Because it's, it's not integrating for a reason. There's no learning happening. So what's the untangle method do? The untangle method drills into this unconscious emotional learning so that it can help us shift within an identity through the experience of learning. Let me give you an example. I, the first thing that I ever untangled, I don't know if I've shared this story on the podcast, forgive me if you've heard it before, but I think it's relevant because it was a big, huge aha moment for me. I had written, um, I had, I'd spent a lot of time with the concept of untangling the rooms in your home and using sort of a backdrop on how to do that. But the mechanism wasn't completely, you know, it's like anything. You have to like refine it, refine it, refine it, refine it, right? And so I was feeling in my mudroom. I had really young kids at the time. I was in a state of disorganization, chaos overwhelmed, <laughs> and it showed in all the clutter in the mudroom. Things didn't match, gloves were missing, boots were missing, coats were missing. I just felt, and I was really tired of getting, all, getting it organized in this rigid way and then having it just return to the same state of chaos. And I always had a lot of shame. I would show up and my kids wouldn't be dressed appropriately or I wouldn't be dressed appropriately. And it felt very damsel in distress, right? 
And so I was just kind of at my bottom with it. I didn't quite know what the heck was going on. I just knew there was, I was like, oh, maybe I should work my own untangle method here. <laughs> what a concept. It always takes me a long time to get willing to do the untangle method, by the way. Um, but every time I do it, I, I, ha I, create, I create an experience of learning that has a shift in identity. So let me show you how it worked. Always step one of the untangle method is getting to the unconscious tangled self, which is operating often underneath the noise of bad habits or good habits, right? And the way to locate, the way I locate, the way I teach people to locate is going to the oppositional. It's always an oppositional um, in inquiry that we get access. So I knew what it felt like to be damsel in distress, right? That was like, okay disorganized, overwhelmed, fragmented. Well, that was like, I knew that experience very well. So what I wanted to get curious with and why I asked people to theatricalize this, give it a voice, hear it differently, put it in Shakespeare, put it on a play, right? Paint it, get loud, is we want to hear it differently because we want it to grab us, right? And so the, it's usually so muted in our unconscious life that the part of step one is, is getting it very big and theatrical. So I turned the clutter into this kind of character and I asked it, well, what happens if I get my shit together? If I show up with all my gear, what happens? And, the, and I let the clutter like talk to me in this evil, wicked voice. And it said, if you get your shit together, no one's gonna love you. You're gonna be all alone in your life. It's better to be a baby. And I heard it. And I was, <gasps> oh, oh, right? I was like, oh, what? And I realized things started to make sense in my biology and in my personal experience. All the crisis that I had been under, all the sort of, oh, help me, rescue me, save me, these powerless currents, these helpless currents that I'd sort of lived for so long all of a sudden started making more sense, just untangling the clutter of my kids, right? And then another part of me woke up. So the organizer self lives in the presence of today, right? Lives in this embodied awareness of today, the wise one, the one who's waking up. That's our organizer self. So the minute we locate the unconscious threat response towards the opposite, our organizer self is getting stronger. I always say we're growing vertebrae, like we're reclaiming our body's vertebrae. Our spine starts to go, ooh, wait, we start to stand in a higher perch, you know, in our nervous system. And if we're a tree, it's just a higher branch and we're getting more perspective, right? This is shifting our identity, not yet completely, but it is separating a part of us that has been in the habit formation of that particular space or that behavior. And it's starting to interrupt it and wake up to the learning. So I'm having a visceral experience that is changing my nervous system through this process. You can hear that, right? I am waking up to information I did not know about myself. Now I have a lot of evidence to go, whoa, I was really enslaved here and I didn't even really know it. It's, it's actually kind of horrifying when you think about it. 
But then it got my attention. I'm very alert. I'm not alert in a hyper-vigilant way. I'm very alert in my awareness. And then I get to create step three. So step two is the organize yourself, getting inhabited, doing the learning, unlearning, learning what's real, what's not true. Wait a minute, really? If I get my shit or my gear together, am I really going to be alone? Huh, I don't think so. (laughs) I think I'm going to break that self-abandonment paradigm I've been operating in. Am I really going to be unlovable? Well, actually, I think I'm going to love myself more if I get my gear in shape. Huh, what a concept. The tangled self is always looking outside of themselves for these needs to get met. It's not available to embody these needs in the way the organizer self is. So the organizer self gets to start to reshape that visceral experience. Wait a minute. Not only does it get to reshape it, it starts to access the part of me, the creative self, the other part of me to come more online. Now, the creative self lives deeply in our psyche as well, like the tangled self. It lives in this world that connects us more deeply to our innate nature. It's impulse, it's thrust, it's, it's, it, the, the creative self is the part of us that wants to embody our life fully that has the capacity to build a new relationship, to getting gear in shape that's inspiring, it's pleasurable, it's not a threat response, it's completely pleasurable. And so I, we untangle to access the creative self so that the shift in identity emerges through all three of these parts, kind of unlearning, dissolving an old identity and going, wait a minute, you can get your shit together. Not only can you get it together, you can have an incredible, meaningful journey of be, of embodying what that life looks like. And then the sequencing starts to happen automatically. She dresses different. She walks different. She's in a state with herself that's in, an, I can, I can do, not only can I, I can do this really well. <laughs> and there is this cultivation of an embodied experience with this new identity that automatically creates new habit formations. And you can see that. And those new habit formations, my friends, would not ever come from a very self-willed, well, you need to do this, you need to get that closet in shape, and you just did it, would never happen. In my experience, never happens. It actually enslaves the tangled self's terror and threat. And so, The three steps of the untangle method create a stimulus. They create an experiential learning that helps our nervous system build new neural circuitries, new pathways, new choices for a new emergent identity. And out of all the books, right, identity habit shifts are the most powerful They're the most transformational, right? If if you're stuck in the drinking, for example, and you're in that, I'm such a loser, I don't deserve any good life, I'm just going to be this stupid alcoholic loser person, right? And getting sober for you is a threat that you have to give something up that's, that's terrifying. But you can see there's a part of you that can be, wants to be 
embodying a sober being, a sober life, there's an identity shift that then supports not drinking. And it's not the self-willed kind of crazy place of rigidity, right? It's in a deeper connection with yourself. So that, my friends, is sort of my take on habits, sequencing short-term goals and habits, adding, stacking to, to build better routines for your overall well-being, for your sleep, for your mental health, for your physical health. We want to be in good habits, right? So there is an art to stacking good habits and stretching good habits and making sure we're attuning to our needs in healthy ways. That is optimal. That is good. However, identity-based habit change is through a new experience with yourself, through unlearning an old identity and creating space for a new one to arise. And that, my friends, that is the, that is the heart of the Untangle Method. So if you haven't done the steps, if you're curious to do these three steps, go to the beginning of the podcast, listen to the, the three steps. I break them more succinctly down. And then, you know, the idea is that it becomes a one, two, three dance. It becomes a one, two, three dance. It becomes so automated that you can do it in every area of your life. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing the space. Look forward to talking to you soon. Bye.